uh, preaching out of insights from the book uh, How the Mighty Fall uh, from Jim Collins, and so he kind of inspired me. I'm not starting a series this morning. I'm, I'm a one, one-shot guy, uh, but I'm, I'm going to totally base mine off a book as well. Uh, I, my taste in books is a little bit more esoteric, a little more philosophical, so I'm hoping that the book I've chosen isn't going to lose you. It is kind of obscure. It was written in the, in the 60s, but it's been dear to me. Some of you might recognize it if we can get the cover of the book up here. Um, this is by P.D. Eastman. It's a treatise called Are You My Mother? Anyone, anyone familiar with this, this work? Oh, f- several of you. Okay. So this book, Are You My Mother?, the, the scene opens with a, an aspiring mother bird, and she's in her nest, and there's an egg that has not hatched yet. And you can just tell in the masterful illustration that she is very excited about her impending motherhood. But she realizes at a crucial moment that she has not prepared the first meal for her baby bird to be. And so she rushes off to get some food so that it'll be ready when the bird, the baby bird hatches. And uh, apparently Murphy's Law does not just apply to humans, it also applies to birds, because of course, as soon as the mother bird flies off, the egg hatches and the baby bird comes out. Here's where it gets really rich and deep. So the baby bird pops out, and immediately senses that something is missing. The baby bird knows somehow that it has a mother. It's never seen a mother, just popped out, hasn't seen anything. But senses deeply something missing. And is willing to risk everything to go out and find what's missing. Uh, The book doesn't explain how this newly hatched bird gets out of the nest into the ground, but somehow safely does that. And then the baby embarks on a journey. The baby bird is trying to find its mother. And page after page after page, you see the typical repetition of children's books. The baby bird finds a cat and asks the the cat if the cat's its mother. No. Goes to a dog. Are you my mother? No. Goes to a cow. Are you my mother? No. Uh, it, It escalates and culminates in the ridiculous. We can go to the next slide. The bird comes across a construction site and goes into this this big digger, and are you my mother? And the response is a snort of exhaust, and the bird says, oh no, you're a snort. So cute. So it goes on and on and on. Every page, the, the bird's desperately searching for a mother, but the reality is Even though the bird has this innate sense that something's missing, the bird can never find its mother because the bird doesn't know what it's looking for. The bird has no context for what this mother is. The bird can't find its mom. The mom has to find him. And because this book is not based on an 18th century German children's story, it has a happy ending. So if we can see that last page here... The, the book does end for your sense of security and well-being. The mother bird finds the baby bird, and they go back to the nest, and they eat together, and the little baby is secure. 
it is a heartwarming story. And here's the deal. where Ryan has talked beautifully about uh, the orphans that we have in our society and the experience they have. But the truth is that we all have experienced the sense of being orphaned. And the reason I can say that confidently is because one of the pictures God gives us of his redemption is adoption. Because the idea of our redemption is so big and so vast and so complex, there are a lot of different angles God uses in Scripture to describe the experience of our redemption. And one of them is adoption. And as I've been reflecting and studying, what I've come to grips with is this is the concept of redemption that I am most uncomfortable with. That I have the hardest time believing below my neck. And I think what it is, is there are certain concepts of our redemption like justification and expiation and propitiation. The Asians. I'm good with the Asians. And the reason I'm good with the Asians is they are primarily about God removing something from me that needs to be taken out. And the reason I'm comfortable with those is because I have this very acute and constant awareness that I've got stuff in me that needs to get out. And so I'm really comfortable with these aspects of our redemption that is about things being taken from me. I feel that need. But adoption is just about receiving. It's just about being given. And that makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I've been conditioned in my growing up context to, to feel like that's not good theology, to focus on being given something. But God's heart and adoption is clear in Scripture. I'm going to look at a passage from Ephesians, if we can bring up the next slide. This is from Ephesians chapter 1. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. There's a lot going on here. There's really rich stuff in each phrase, and the ESV is a translation that's really good about getting precise language, and we could spend a six-week series unpacking each phrase and getting to the heart of the meat of each word, and we're not going to do that. Uh, That's the trees, and the trees are important, but today we want to get to the heart, the forest, the heart of God in adoption. And so I'm going to break PCA rules here. I need you to brace yourself. We're going to look at this same passage from a paraphrase of Scripture. It's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. It's called the message. But it beautifully captures the forest. It beautifully captures God's heart for us in adoption. So if we can go to this controversial paraphrase. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and to be made holy 
by his love. Long ago, long, long ago, he had decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. Here's where I get really uncomfortable. A celebration of lavish gift-giving for me, for you. I got stuff that needs to be taken away. I'm not, I don't, I don't qualify for a celebration of lavish gift-giving. That's what God's heart is in adopting us, in welcoming us into his family. It's initiated with a celebration of lavish gift-giving. And so this morning, what we want to do is just ask, what, what are the gifts? What are the gifts of adoption? When we, through the blood, through the death and resurrection of Christ, are adopted into God's family, what are the gifts we receive in that celebration? And to answer that question, we really just need to understand what does it mean? What does it look like for us to be received as sons and daughters, for God to see us no differently than he sees his son? Jesus as the son. If we're adopted, that means that we are also sons and daughters. And we are seen in the same way. So how does the Father see the Son? Again, we could spend six weeks unpacking that. There's a scene in Scripture that really shows very succinctly how the Father sees the Son. It's as he's being baptized. The passage is from Luke. So the scene is John the Baptist is baptizing, 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 and declaring the coming of the kingdom. And Jesus comes and requests to be baptized. John the Baptist, understandably, is very uncomfortable with this proposition and says, you need to be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, this is what needs to happen right now. You need to baptize me. So John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my my son, Whom I love, with you I am well pleased. In this one sentence, in three phrases, we get a very clear picture of how the Father views the Son. And before we dig in briefly to each of those phrases, we need to recognize chronologically when this declaration of the Father to the Son is taking place. Jesus did not just feed 5,000 people miraculously. He did not just raise someone from the dead. He did not just make a blind person see. He did not just turn water into wine. He did not just spend 40 days being tempted in the wilderness. At this point, as far as we know from Scripture, at this point, Jesus has done nothing. His ministry has not begun. And before his ministry begins, the Father's declaration to the Son, You are my Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And in these three phrases, we've got some gifts in the adoption celebration. We're going to look at those one at a time. So the first phrase 
You can go to the next slide. You are my son. You are my daughter. The first gift of adoption from the Father is a gift of identity. When you go into a new context and you walk up to someone and and they say, who are you? You don't respond typically, oh, I'm a Caucasian of French descent, uh, third generation. You do not immediately respond, oh, I am a welder uh, at this location. You don't respond with any number of things that describe an element of who you are. You respond with your name. Who are you? I'm Jeremy Marshall. Your name is this label, this signifier of your identity. And when on planet Earth in the United States, a, an orphaned child is adopted into a family, at the legal ceremony of that, a lot of things change, but tangibly the one change that takes place is a change of name. The child comes away identifying with a new family. And that identifier is rooted in the name. The father begins his statement with, you are my son. Our identity is the most important thing about us. What defines who we are? And we have an identity issue. It was in my face this week in our midterm elections. I I was kind of depressed this week. And it wasn't because this candidate won or this candidate lost or this party held this and this party took over this. It was I saw huge groups of people buying into the idea that there was a party that had the answer to all the problems. And if my party gets the power, then everything's going to be great. And if you're part of the other party, you're wrong, you're evil, you've got bad motives. And because you're on the wrong side, being harsh and dismissive and bitter and accusatory and shaming is great and fine. Because you're in the wrong tribe. If you believe that there's a political party that has all the answers to the problems in our world, you've got an identity issue. If your attitude on Sunday morning is determined by the performance of a group of athletes on Saturday, (laughs) you've got an identity issue. We know deep down that we've got an identity issue because we go to all these different places to find an identity. We're part of this party. We're, we're associated with this team. I work with this place, and this place does awesome stuff. When we ask ourselves, who, who am I? We want to answer that with something that's impressive. But the way we were created... was such that the most important, significant, deep, and real sense of who we are, what defines us, is that we are a son, we are a daughter. And our adoption by the Father Father, through the blood of the Son 
provides us that gift, that restoration of our identity, that the most important thing about us is not what we do, not what we believe, not who we're affiliated with, but that we're a son or a daughter. We're given the gift of identity. The second gift found in the second phrase, whom I love. Again, before Jesus does anything in his ministry, the Father declares his love for the Son. The word love is used in a lot of different ways today. It means a lot of different things. But when you tell someone you love them, at root what you're saying is all that you've got going on, the, the really neat stuff, the really messy stuff, the amusing stuff, the annoying stuff, all of it, I'm in. You're good. I accept you. And again, we've got, we've got an acceptance issue. We long to be accepted. We long to be accepted by, in romantic relationships, and we long to be accepted in friend groups, and we long to be accepted in our social media environments. We want to be accepted for who we are, and the problem is that everywhere we tend to go for acceptance, it's just temporary. It's based on how we're showing up and what we're doing, how we're appearing. And we long for a permanent and consistent sense of acceptance that's unconditional. I've talked to several uh, families that that have been in in the adoption process just to understand more because, again, God uses our experiences to point to eternal realities and this adoption process that's real in our midst points to what God is wanting to do for us. And one uh, conversation I had hit me so hard. He said, you know, it's interesting that as common as and easy as divorce is in our culture, you know, we've got like a 50% divorce rate. We've got uncontested divorce. You can get a divorce really easily for just about any reason. Undoing a marriage. In 2018 in the United States of America, there is no unadoption process. There's an adoption, a legal adoption process. There's no unadoption process. When as a child you are adopted into a new family and receive a new name, it's permanent, even in our broken world today. And our longing for a permanent sense of acceptance is only found in the adoption of the Father. Love that is unconditional based on nothing but the blood of Christ. So we receive the gift of identity, we receive the gift of acceptance. And third, with you I am well pleased. The gift of a blessing The gift that says, I'm proud of you. In you I'm well pleased, as David said in the song that we sang. This is the one I have the hardest time with. I'm literally preaching a sermon on this. And I was talking to Ryan before the service. 
if you ask me if I believe this, if, that God, if, if you ask me if, if I think God is pleased with me, um, intellectually, my answer is absolutely yes. But my heart answers, I really don't think so. I really don't think so. Because I'm not doing enough. There's relationships that I'm not investing in as much as I should. And there's things that I want to do with my kids that I'm not doing as much as I should. And there's ministry opportunities that I haven't moved towards. And there's just not, I haven't done enough. And for God to be pleased with me, I'm going to have to do those things. That's what I really, really believe. So much so that I I felt uncomfortable standing on stage and saying this because I felt like maybe I was missing something theologically. Should I tell people that in Christ, God is pleased with them? Well, it's in Scripture. It's probably pretty safe. The reality is I just want to, I want to hide my doubt and label it with some sort of theological concern. The Scripture is super clear that through the blood of Christ, His righteousness is placed on us. And Paul declares in the Greek, in Christ, new creation. And that one of the gifts of adoption is that when we receive that reconciliation to Him, it's not about what we do. And it's not about what we don't do. Because of Christ, the Father looks at us as sons and daughters is pleased. Pleased. Pleased with you. So what do we do with that? What do we do with the reality that through the adoption of God the Father, we have a secure and consistent identity and unconditional acceptance and the blessing that He's pleased with us? For all of us in here, we're in, we're in one of two places. Some of us identify with the bird from our story. You've got this deep sense that there's something missing. And you're scrambling desperately to find what's missing, to find the identity you long for, the acceptance you long for, the blessing you long for. But the places you take that longing are no less ridiculous than a bird going to a construction vehicle and asking if it's his mother. No less ridiculous. If you relate with that bird, if you've got this sense, you've got no context, you've never seen it, Go to somebody that seems like they have. Come talk to Ryan or myself, or Ryan, or someone else in your life that seems to be living in such a way that they have identity and acceptance and blessing. For the rest of us who know, at least intellectually, that we have received the blood of Christ through his death and resurrection, the redemption and reconciliation with him. We've got the Asians. We've got the justification and the expiation, the propitiation. But 
don't really feel like it. Uh, the, the phrase that caught me that really captures this is actually not in Scripture. It's actually from a Stephen King series. I don't know if any of you are Dark Tower fans, but uh, in this series, the protagonists have a liturgy, a series of phrases that they say to remind themselves of what is true, and when they're not acting in the way they're supposed to, they have a repentant liturgy. And the phrase that they have to say to their leader is, I have forgotten the face of my father. I'm not, I'm not doing what I should be doing, not living the way I should be living, because I've forgotten the face of my father. When we wake up in the morning and we start scrambling to do enough, to, to be enough, to cut down on these things and to add on these things, and we're just swirling at root, we've forgotten the face of our Father. And you, you could be looking at this message and be like, man, this is a softball, warm and fuzzy message. You're accepted and you're blessed and it's all nice and good. What about repentance? What is repentance? Repentance is stopping and turning and moving in another direction. Are you familiar with the story of the prodigal son? The son realized that his pursuit of identity and acceptance and blessing was failing miserably. He stopped and he turned. And he came back to his father, not expecting well-pleased, just hoping for a slave servant position so that they could eat. And when we reach the end of our rope and turn around, often we come back to the Father with that posture. Not looking for you to say, well, pleased, I know I've disqualified myself for that. But just give me something. Give me a little bit. And the father portrayed in that story that is a representation of our father who's adopted us. I'm refusing to give you what you're asking for. You cannot have a servant position in my house. We're going to kill the best calf we have and we're going to have a celebration of lavish gift giving. The message of adoption is a message of repentance. It's a message of giving up on our silly, chasing after cows and cats and dogs and construction vehicles for our identity and acceptance and blessing. And it's coming to the Father with nothing. And He responds with everything pray. Father, I confess that every single day I forget your face. And that I've never struggled more with a message before because I mostly don't believe that you're pleased in me. 
ask that you would help us all to see the picture that you paint in the prodigal son, that you will never stop pursuing us. Help us to remember your face. Receive you. Amen.